He's Larry Mallory. I'm Scott Farber. Larry, let me ask you a question. Did you have a pro athlete growing up that influenced you, that you, you know, wanted to emulate yourself to be like him, that kind of was in the back of your head when you're running wind sprints and you hated it as a kid? Was there somebody that influenced you in your uh, early life from the pro athlete side? That's a great question uh, because, you know, I have an older brother and there were many, many pro athletes, I think, that had an influence on me because my brother's pretty smart. He's much smarter than I am, right? And he knew a lot about a lot of different sports, you know, basketball, football. He could just, you know, go with everything. Plus, he played tennis. He played ping. He played a lot of different sports. And he ended up really being my motivation. Um, the motivation that's to cool. – I'm, I'm sorry? I said that's cool. Yeah. So it was your brother. It was my older brother and, and well, my only brother. And not only was he, uh, you know, a motivator in how he performed, he ended up, you know, we were living in Jackson, Tennessee, which is not too big, you know. And um, he ended up being uh, the local park director and my local baseball coach as a little league, as a junior league, all the way up. So his, my, 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 my influence really came from my brother, I think. Well, you know, I, I was just thinking about sports and how kids, you know, with the athletes and everything, how important it was. When you and I were younger, now I know uh, uh, Zeke and Scott, our producers, do not remember <laughs> Muhammad Ali. They'll tell us they know him, but they really don't remember him. You know, and I was thinking how, you know, when he first came around, nobody liked him. You know, they thought he was brash with a big mouth and, and whatnot. Later in later life, he kept saying, man, I was just trying to promote fights, you know, right. and, and everything. Um, but Muhammad Ali was not liked. And he went through this complete 180 because he became one of the most revered, loved athletes of our time and a big influence in the world and trying to bring peace and goodness uh, uh, to people. So he, he had a bit of, big effect on us. And, and so I was thinking a little bit, and, and it wasn't so much on the sport of boxing. It was just in general. He was, you know, the most recognizable person in the world for a while. Yeah, but was. then I'm thinking of guys like, uh, uh, you know, Tiger Woods. Now, Tiger, the thing that I think he really changed in golf, he also did a 180. You know, he was kind of surly, you know, in golf tournaments because he was just dedicated and focused. It wasn't intentional. You know, but he would walk by the fans and not give them the little high fives because he was so focused. Now, you know, he's the elder statesman. It's not as critical to him to win anymore, you know, when he plays. Uh, and the players and fans really like him. But we look at these 25-year-old kids that all tell stories about growing up, wanting to be Tiger Woods. Mm. You know, and you're a big golfer. How do you think he's affected the game? Well, you know, he he wears the crown <laughs> in yeah. terms of, of victories and everything. But he, you know, I've, I've really been paying up. Tiger was always expected to win a, a tournament, right? And it, that, was, that was with us for so long. But when he had that car accident, to me, it drew a lot more attention to him. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of attention from a larger group of people, actually. And I, I think that that coming out of that trauma, you know, 
Tiger both broke both of his legs. They didn't think he was going to walk anymore uh, from that car accident. Right. That right, was right. He, had, he had head trauma. It, it was a it was a very serious accident, and for him to be able to come back, and I, I was I know that one of his motivations, Scott, and and uh, you know I'm kind of going out on a limb, but I don't really think I am. But one of his motivations is his son. Uh, I don't know, you know, he just he. You're not going out on a limb. I think you're 100 percent correct. I never yeah. even thought of that. Yeah, you know? I mean, he really had to work hard to get back to the point where he could play with his son. You know, they had the father-son challenge, and John Daly and his son ended up winning the tournament. But but uh, uh, Tiger and his son end up coming in second. Right, so right. Imagine how how influential that was. How much of an impact that was for his son, for both of them to be out, be able to get out there and still continue the victories for their families. You know, and his son is going to be. Uh, you know, I can't think of his name off the top of my head. You know, it's names, Larry. Who could remember names? <laughs> That's true. Yeah. That's true. By the way, just a side note. You know, you mentioned your brother being older than you. I stand corrected because I thought you were the oldest human being left on earth. So, <laughs> anyway, going back to Tiger and his son, his son's going to be a heck of a golfer because, you know, you, they showed all those videos. The two of them have the exact same swing. Yeah. And if you got to emulate somebody, I guess uh, emulating his dad is pretty good. That's right. That's right. Pretty good choice. But you talk about Tiger winning. You know, I looked up some stats and it really blew me away. You know, we all know he was great. Oh, he yeah. was in 366 tournaments. Right. He won 82 times which means he won 22.4% of the times right. he teed up. Now, right. he had a few that he withdrew from. I didn't count those in these stats, so. But here's some two stats that really are going to blow you away, Larry. He uh, finished in the top 10 54% of the time. He finished in the top 75, excuse me, the top 25, 74% of the time. So basically, when this guy teed up to be in a golf tournament, he was going to be in the top 25 for sure, probably the top 10. And one out of five, he was, you know, or almost one out of four, he's winning the tournament. Pretty pretty remarkable. Now, you know, he missed 30 cuts in his career. Yeah. Nine or eight of them were when he was an amateur, when he played in some tournaments. That's so true. those eight really don't even count. And then in his glory years, he only missed like nine tournaments, 1996 through 2013. So he's really, I can understand why he's had an effect. But he also changed golf. Uh, you know, this is one of your things, too. You're telling me life is motion. Scott, get off your tush, start walking, get moving, play some <laughs> golf. You know, you're always saying that to me. Look at how physically fit golfers look now as opposed to when we were kids. Yeah. That's fact, all because they, well, in fact, that was one of the things that uh, I was reading about Tiger's, uh, how, how proud he was to be able to play with his son. Uh, one of the challenges, though, in that tournament was that because of the injuries that Tiger had in the, in the car accident, he had to use a cart, you know, right. to, to play in the tournament. And he didn't have the opportunity of walking with his son and interacting with him. That was the only thing that, that wasn't good about the tournament. Every, everything else turned out to be absolutely fantastic. You know, but, but another thing, I, I, I was reading about Tiger, and Buddhism came up. Is Tiger a Buddhist? 
I I haven't heard anything about that. I never heard about uh, about his religion at all. Right, I hadn't either. But in this article, I was you know sort of researching him, and and Buddhism came up in in the you know recap of of his life, and and I I, I had that had never come up before. But if you have as many victories as he's had, you know, <laughs> why would well, that's right. <laughs> that's that, that's right. I think Richard Gere, the actor, practices Buddhism. I could be wrong. It's just okay. might have been something I heard. I yeah. don't want to say anything, you know, bad about Richard Gere. Well, you know, when I look, you know, in in every sport, you could look at an athlete that's very influential. I think, you know, you could we could sit and name names all day long. I also feel too, as time goes by, the guys in the background are less remembered, less and less, you know. But baseball, you know, if you talk about influence, you still have to go all the way back to Babe Ruth, you know. And I always say, you know, for Babe Ruth, the argument of the greatest baseball player ever, as soon as somebody has hit 700 home runs and has 94 wins as a pitcher, then we could start the argument, yeah. you know. Um, um, but Jackie Robinson. And then I think today, just for, not not so much for anything outside of baseball, really, but Shohei Otane, yeah, because he's a star pitcher and a star player all at the same time. So I think he might have an, another influence in the game. How pitchers think? Well, I could be a hitter too. You know, well, you know you. Thoughts? Well, you kind of introduced me to Otane, and um, and it was a great introduction. I think I did not realize. You know, I, I had watched him just a few times, but. Coming off of a, a, a major league pitching mound at six foot five is impactful. I mean, right. when he finishes his throw, you know, he's off the dirt almost at six five. You know, the well, dirt around know, the pitching mound. Well, you know, it's 60 feet, you know, six inches, but where mm -hmm. he plants his foot and the foot you throw off of is about six, maybe in his case, seven feet closer. Right. <laughs> Oh, no, no, but I mean that's that's how it is. If you watch, you know, people don't realize this. They think you're pitching off the mound. You're not. You're, you're planting your lead foot, and that's the foot you're going to throw the ball off of. Yeah. You know, yeah. and your rear end and your other foot follow you. That's where the power comes from. But you're now standing 54 feet away from the home plate. That's right. So yeah. it's uh, you know it's it's um. Uh, very interesting. You you could have been a pitcher in in, uh, in baseball, and you chose football. Why would you take football over baseball? Well, you know, um, that's a great question because baseball was the main thing in my life. But then when when we came out of Jackson, Tennessee, where there wasn't much football there, I guess Tuttle is the most famous football player out of Jackson. But we didn't play a lot of football. And I, as you know, I lived across the street from a playground. Right. And uh, so basketball, baseball, ping pong, tennis, those were, you know, a lot of our, our games. We didn't have a lot of tackle football, especially. Right. So, right. you know, that, that was one of the, the implications. But the good thing was that I was across the street from a playground and, and I got a chance to work as hard as I could. So the, the best part of what you just told me when you just rattled off all the sports you played, uh, that physical ping pong really was the one that got me. <laughs> yep, I chose football over ping pong. That's right. <laughs> that's right. That's good. I, I got a kick out of that. All right. Well, we're ta we're talking about. Well, let me ask you one other thing on influential people. Of course, I made a list of of so many people in all the the world of sports. 
women too, very influential, Serena Williams in tennis, but also Billie Jean King in tennis. Yeah. You know, uh, going back to when she had to beat Bobby Riggs, who had at one time, I believe, was number one in the world for men. Yeah. You know, and then uh, 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 that big silly promotion that they did, and she beat him pretty handily, so she became, you know, a good voice uh, for women in tennis. But what about somebody like Phil Knight, who runs Nike? Look what he did for not only the athletes, but for the shoe industry. I mean, that's pretty influential in sports because every kid gets their Nikes and feels they're Michael Jordan or, you know, or anybody else that's signed to the uh, Nike label. Yeah. Do you think that that has a, an influence too? Because you always like to talk about that capitalism. <laughs> well, I am, in, I am in the United States. But, uh, you know, Phil Knight, as the 24th richest person in the world, um, $54.5 billion net worth, it, it's uh, it's hard for you and I to talk about that. <laughs> I, I, I had no idea he was that wealthy. Yeah. So, $54.5 billion net worth. So what would have happened if he did not sign Michael Jordan? Oh, wow. I mean, what would have happened? Because they were not a huge shoe company. I guess they were fairly big already. Yeah. But would they have become what they are today? Maybe. But I don't. I don't know. You know that Michael Jordan. That uh, somehow that just took off. Uh, who, who's the director? Um, um, oh gosh, um, Spike Lee. Yeah. Did the commercials at the beginning there with Michael Jordan and Nike? It's got to be the shoes. I think uh, you know was the tagline. Yeah. It wasn't Michael Jordan. It's got to be the shoes. Yeah. And then the Jordan brands came out. And, and in my mind, see. And, and, we, and, you know, that was our era around Michael Jordan. But in my mind, I remembered his offensive power, right? I did right. not realize he was also Defensive Player of the Year. Oh, yeah. Years. Yeah. yeah. I, when, I, when I read about him and when I, I saw that, I said, oh, that, 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 that is a complete player. You know, a guy that can score like that and also become Defensive Player of the Year one year, that's pretty impactful. Well, he, he's another goat, though. We, we talk a lot about goats. Yeah, yeah. He, he's well, the greatest know, of all time. And then, and then you could get into, uh, you know, Scotty Pippen, his sidekick. Yeah. Scotty Pippen became recognized as the second best option in the NBA when the two of them were playing together. And mm -hmm. you talk about complete players. There's a guy who could score, rebound, pass. Scotty Pippen was pretty good, too. And yet I wonder, would he have developed into Scottie Pippen if he didn't have Michael Jordan pushing him? And would Michael Jordan have won six titles if he had some good players but not a Scottie Pippen? That's I mean, a, they had to be good for each other. Yeah, no, that's a great, great question. And, and that question actually starts in the locker room. You know, it, championships in professional sports are about teamwork. Right. They're right. about teamwork. And you just what you just explained, Scott, is exactly what the Bulls had during those championship years. They had excellent teamwork, and they had a obviously a world-renowned player that didn't overshadow everything, but just contributed and supported his entire team. That, that, right. that, that's how that's how you have a good professional team if if it's good teamwork. Now, let me ask you a question, though. You know about that when you guys when you were in the locker room, 
and if thinking of Jordan in the locker room with the Bulls, I, did some of the players regret him, you know, kind of taking control and barking everything how it should be done and follow my lead and all this? Do you think the players, was there any regret or did it rub guys the wrong way or were they all going, you know, we got to improve, we got to do this? How do you uh -huh. think? Uh, I don't think I don't think the term regret, you know, is is a good term. I think that you know everybody in a team environment when you're in that locker room, you have to have contributed to the success of the whole body. And right. if you have a star in that locker room and you're not doing the type of things that helps that the entire group to move ahead, not only that, not only the star will say something to you, the, your teammates will say something to you. Right. Your coaches are going to say something to you. Right. You know. And so when you when you're on a team that's that has historical greatness, you know, make it to the championships every year, that sets a higher higher bar. And you, right. if you don't make that bar, you cannot be on that team. Right. All right, Larry. I uh, was reading that they're doing rule changes again in the NFL. So let me ask you first, when you were playing back back in the day, did you guys have certain referees that felt through the flags unfairly on you? Uh, were there certain refs that you guys had to watch out for? Did they do rule changes every year back then too? No, I don't remember that that type of situation. And, and honestly, the players did not have that much of a relationship with the umpires or the referees. You know, we, our right. relationship, yeah, our relationship was directly with the coaches. Now, the coaches would possibly know the referees or, you know, know where they came from. A lot of referees during that time probably were uh, guys that didn't make it as coaches and converted to be a referee because Wait they a minute. You mean you guys didn't sit and talk to the refs on the field during the games? No. Oh, definitely not. That, that would imply that the referees are moving more toward one side than the other. The referees are in, the referees are independent bodies that are there to make sure the game operates properly. They're not on anybody's side. They're supposed to not be on anybody's side. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, America's team, the Cowboys. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you got a good point. And I'm yeah. sure some coaches brings that up too. <laughs> yeah. You know, I find that hard to believe because I remember when I was playing uh, baseball, um, mm. uh, when I was pitching, I come to bat. I I'd always talk to the uh, to the umpire, trying to get on his good side because I needed those calls on the corner. And when I was playing first base, I was just talking to the umpire because he was the only person standing near me. Right. You, you know. So I, I you know I I find that unusual because I see today they're talking to the officials. We didn't say you don't talk to them. You you can say something to the officials because you're trying to get some leverage, but they're not saying, "Ooh, anything you do, you're okay," or right. you know, you, you if you miss the ball, I'm gonna say you caught it. No. Oh, okay. They're yeah, no, no, no. I, yeah, the game. They're part of making the game uh, so right that the the fans want to see it. If you got an official that that's leaning toward one or more teams, he will be fired. Right. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. I understand that. I'm just saying that I think the players, because they're yapping all the time, they yap at the officials, you know, they talk to them friendly. They probably tell them, you missed that, you owe me one. So that kind of banter went on. 
would would you as an athlete say something negative to an official? <laughs> <laughs> well, I we've seen it. We and then we see some flags thrown. Right. You know, the, you, you know uh, um, I, I've always said, you know, that, um, you, you know, the NFL, but more so the NBA, a lot can be controlled by the referees. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, you know, in the NBA, there could be called a foul on every play. It, and, and also in the NFL, you know, on the line, there could be a holding on every play if they wanted to. Well, you know, yeah. so. Yeah. No, I like what you're saying. And plus, but I also know that you know the game has speeded up a lot since our day right you know the positions are different in the old days in football everybody on the line was kind of big now everybody's kind of tall and fast and strong so that the game has adjusted itself and the referees had to make those adjustments too i'm not sure if this is true or not but i think there was one more referee allowed in these later years than it was in the early days, but I'm not sure if that's correct or not. Yeah, no, no, I don't know. But, you know, you talk about back in the old days, the players on the line were large, mm -hmm. even golf. You know, when, when we talk about Tiger bringing in the physical aspect of golf and all these guys now are all physically fit, yeah. you know, uh, Tiger's rival for the title of greatest golf forever, Jack Nicholas. If you remember, he was pretty portly when he was a young man winning all those tournaments. That's right. You know, Lee Trevino, another one comes to mind who I loved watching him play. He yeah. he was, you know, wasn't the skinniest guy out there. So it's interesting to me that these guys would win a lot and they didn't seem to be in the best physical shape. I guess they are still in good shape even if they were a little bit overweight because they're still walking five miles a day playing golf. By the fourth yeah. round, if you don't have energy, you ain't going to win, you know, by day four. That's a great statement. That's what Tiger just said, actually. He, he Tiger was just talking about um, walking a course, a flat course or a flat area, because, you know, he works out a lot in preparation for the golf tournaments. Right, right. But he stated that it is much easier for him to walk you know, and exercise than it is for him to walk a golf course because he guys go up and down and around and overs, and, and that ends up, you know, causing him a little more strains. Oh, yeah. You know, walking a golf course, if somebody has never just walked a golf course, right. all 18 holes, it's not easy. You know, climbing in a sand trap and then climbing out and then right. having to sink a, an eight-foot putt because every putt is a lot of money, you That's know, it. in the standing. <laughs> I mean, people, you don't think it's a physical game, but it really is. Yeah. Because those golf courses are not easy to walk. Riding in a cart is a different story. It is. You know? But you and I are going to continue to promote golf to young people because, you know, like we said, you, got, you, can, you can be a young person and finish number 100th and still make six-figure salaries. So we well, want to get right. as many young people in golf as we can. You know, and uh, it's the one sport that you could play through your whole life. That's right. You know, right. you know, I, I can't see – look, I think you're in the best shape ever. I can't see you playing uh, tackle football anymore. <laughs> no, I can't even. <laughs> All right, Larry, so let me ask you one final thing. I know we're running out of time here, but in the last 20 years, the NFL has released that there has been uh, 97 flags thrown per year. So an average of 97 times 
of illegal contact downfield while the uh, uh, quarterback still has the football in his hands. In season 2021, so last season, there was only 37 illegal contact penalties called. So now the NFL has put it out that they really want to be watching and, and making some calls on the illegal contact downfield. I don't get, you know, are they just doing it wrong or are they just basing it, we didn't call enough penalties, so call more? I mean, how do you make that decision? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. Um, the first thing comes to mind is the, the people in the stands. People like to see scores versus, right. you know, they, they like to see offense versus defense, let's say. Or they like to see scoring versus non-scoring. And, and I think that, that that type of process, you know, works more offensively than defensively. So when you were playing, if you missed a tackle and the guy ran in for a touchdown, you would be able to say that I'm doing that because people prefer seeing scoring. <laughs> no, no. If I missed a tackle and you scored the touchdown, I would probably be waving at you on the way into the locker room. Yeah, yeah. All right, final note before we, we go away. I think this was one of the best things the NBA ever did. They retired um, Bill Russell's yeah. number on every team. And I think that was a classy, classy move. What do you, what did you think of that? Oh, without a doubt. Um, you know, he had so much of an impact, not only on the sport, but on his, on the things that he would do in his life. So I, I think it was a perfect call. Perfect. call. All right. For our producer, director, Zeke, our other producer, Scott, he's Larry Mallory. I'm Scott Farber. We'll see you next time. Take care, Larry. Take care, partner.